0: Episode number 33 of Healthcare's a Missing Logic podcast. Today's special guest is Heather Graham from Aspire, a company provides comprehensive behavioral health and employee assistance programs. Heather shares her unique perspective on the interdependent relationship between system factors and individual factors when it comes to clinician burnout, well-being and resilience. It's a very enlightening and thought-provoking conversation, so keep listening. Healthcare leaders, I'm Tracy Kristofferson. And I'm Michelle Troset. We're your hosts
1: for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today.
0: You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast.
1: We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy, healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare, to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources
0: on fixes that fail. If you wanna create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here.
1: Tracy and I have been leveraging a polarity mindset to combat burnout and be balanced and resilient as healthcare leaders for over 15 years now. If you're burned out or tired of feeling overwhelmed by competing priorities, overworked, and stuck or lost and want to thrive as a leader and perform at the highest level in every meaningful aspect of your work and personal life, this approach might be for you. This spring, we will be offering a new online group coaching program to teach and coach healthcare leaders how to live on purpose, prioritize competing demands, and develop balance and resilience in their work and personal lives using our Dynamic Balance Framework. Before you listen to this podcast, go to www.missinglogic.com for board slash podcast and join the early interest list on the top of the page so you can be the first to get all the details. Hello, everybody. This is Tracy. And
0: Michelle. Welcome back to yeah. another podcast. Ah, awesome to be with you. We had a really great interview today. It was amazing. It really was. I learned so much. I did too. Heather's a very um, knowledgeable uh experienced. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was thinking of
1: the whole novice to expert, man. She's over on the expert. Oh, end. she
0: is. She is. Yeah. She's and amazing. It's very um not, you know, just very unique and enlightening perspectives, man. I just yeah. I grew a lot just I, during our conversation. <laughs> I did too. And actually I'll
1: tell you what, it motivated me. Yeah, me too. You know, it right. just really motivated me to keep keep doing what we're doing and really to bring the polarity Perspective to clinician burnout mm-hmm. and how important this is.
0: Yeah, I feel like she's a kindred spirit, right? I do too. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She really gets yeah. me in my, you know, how I'm so, you know, advocating so much for the individual within the system, right? Yeah. And the need to support both. And
1: it's always a blessing when people come into your life. Like, we didn't know Heather a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, and we were actually introduced to her through a mutual colleague. Mm-hmm. And we discovered that we both had passions around addressing the burnout issues in healthcare. And together, we collaborated with um, other individuals. And we put on two national webinars. Yeah. And the first one, we really just focused on the realities of clinician burnout, like what's happening out there. And then we had a second follow-up one, where we really looked at it through a polarity lens you know, from a clinician and a patient perspective. And it was very, and that was very enlightening as well. Mm -hmm. And that was
0: pre-podcast days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, webinar days.
1: (laughs) That's right. So uh, we reached out to her. We said, you know what, Heather, with this clinician burnout being such a big issue, would you please be a guest on our podcast? And let's just really share with our listeners about not only, you know, what the realities are, like we keep talking about, but the power if we do look at it through a polarity lens. And so she joined us today. And like we said, it was a phenomenal interview. Yeah, I'm so glad she did. Tell us a little
0: bit about Heather.
1: Yes. Miss Heather Graham, or Mrs. Graham, she holds a Master of Social Work degree from the University of Georgia and is a licensed clinical social worker and a certified employee assistance professional. And at Aspire where she works, she is the Director of Clinical development, and her role is to evaluate the employee assistant program and services and how it can benefit the customer and to assist customers in achieving really the maximum benefit of what they have to offer. So she's really about the customer as well. Um, She's held the role of Director of the Client Services Department, which oversees the uh, client service managers that really deliver their services to customer accounts um, all over the place. She's worked with customers to provide innovative solutions, and she is really focused on improving employee and supervisor relationships. She creates customized training programs. And um, she really just brings the world realities into her services and really what they need to do to serve their customers the best. Um, she is developed trainings on topics including mental health in the workplace, developing your organizational culture through EAP, um, coping with burnout and stress, happiness in the workplace, managing stress communication in the workplace, dealing with conflict, uh, mental health awareness, and Employee Advocate Support Programs, and many, many others. And she'll share some of those with us on our podcast. She's
0: a real creator.
1: She is. (laughs) She is. And she keeps it real. That's what I love about her. she does. So down to earth, right? Yeah. 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 So without further ado, here's our interview with Heather.
0: Well, hello, Heather. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank
2: you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Uh, it's so great to reconnect with you.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. It is. And I know our listeners are going to just love our conversation. So, you know, um, you uh, live in Atlanta, right? Yep. Yeah. And you're one of our first guests from the Atlanta region of the United States. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you enjoy most about living in Atlanta.
2: Well, I am a total suburbanite. So I hardly ever go into the city because it's a lot of work. Uh, The joke is that Atlanta is 45 minutes away from Atlanta. (laughs) I stay, um, I'm very family oriented. And so we just do family stuff. We like to, and it's beautiful here in October. So we like to hike. We like to have picnics. We like to, my son plays sports. So we just kind of stick in our area, hanging out with friends and family and um, just enjoying the weather.
0: Oh, great. Yeah, my son used to live in Atlanta, too, out in the suburbs. So I get the whole 45 minutes Atlanta to Atlanta. (laughs) It is a beautiful place.
1: Yeah, whenever you hear things about traffic, Atlanta always comes up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is for certain.
1: Yeah, so it is so exciting to be reconnected with you, Heather. And it was such a great experience doing a two-part national webinar series with you earlier this year. In which we talked about um, stress and clinician burnout and introduced uh, looking at it through a polarity lens. So, we were just curious since that experience, um, how has that impacted you personally and professionally now that you know there are both an and approaches to clinician burnout and stress?
2: So, as a professional, I'm a, cl- a clinician, a mental health, um, a licensed mental health professional. And what I really like about it is that it creates resilience. And resilience is the ability to embrace the reality of what's going on and work around it and work with it. And so you have this, it's not the or, it's the and, but then you also have, uh, sometimes it is or, and sometimes it's and, and you have to do that together. And your second podcast talks a lot about that with the originators of the polarity thinking. And I think that's really important for organizations to know because they they need to be resilient from the inside out. And you can't be resilient without your employees being resilient. And this model allows for them. And then you guys provide those specific action steps that people need. So it's not just a theoretical model. It's a strategic action that they can take. And many organizations do decide to do initiatives at the exclusion of other options. And it's there because they think, taking that singular focus is going to be more effective and more efficient. But often you have to have that ebb and flow. And that's exactly what resilience is. You have to be able to flow, see how it's working, check in with your people, come back. And and maybe you have an initiative, but the people are always in mind. So that's what I really like about it is building the resilience of the employees all the way up from leadership down, from employees up, from inside out and outside in.
0: I couldn't have said it better. That was awesome. That was awesome. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, to your point, right, there are problems. Right. There are problems that require singular solutions. But within those problems are lots of different polarities many times. And so you're right. You know, you need to be able to differentiate. And then you need to be able to apply that duality of thinking, the both and when it's appropriate to do so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you're bringing the individual into this, because let me tell you, (laughs) that's my soapbox these days, right? System changes are awesome. They're oftentimes absolutely required. And within those system changes are polarities, but you can't leave out the individuals because without that individual factor being addressed, the system changes won't be effective either exactly
2: exactly and it's kind of akin to um, I used to do a lot of child therapy and parents you know as parents and we all understand this your children need you and you're on the phone or they need you and you're in the middle of something well we used to have this 30 second rule where if you just sit and give them 30 seconds of total attention they'll get what they need and then you can move on and go back to what you're doing and so when you work with individuals it's not that part of the and is embracing that it's not exclusive, it's not all employees. So when you focus on employees, it saves you time in the long run. And so, and you may not have to put in a tremendous amount of effort at that point, you know, but just acknowledging and having them feel heard and then moving into the initiative, they'll be behind you hundred percent and they'll give you back two hundred percent. So I just really, I'm a strong... Investor in people, but I'm also a therapist, so I'm fine.
0: <laughs> well, but, the world the world needs more therapy. Right. <laughs> well, it's always good to know your preference, right? So that's just uh, that's just good awareness, right? <laughs> and uh, and that you're it's really smart to to know that because it does influence your perspective, right? But we do need it. So I'm glad you're bringing it because I'm with you on that one. And you know, there's uh, healthcare organizations are facing a ton of challenges right now, right? The whole clinician burnout, suicide rates, increases in depression. There's a lot of um, challenges. From a well being perspective for the clinical workforce and even for learners. I mean, even outside of the hospital setting or the clinical practice setting, you got the learners are also experiencing it and the faculty are experiencing it. Um, You know, so we're facing a lot of challenges uh, individually and organizationally. So, um, can you just share a little bit about? Uh, employee assistance programs, kind of the nature of the work that you do, Heather, and what that can bring to organizations and individuals?
2: So, um, yeah, so I work with Aspire, and we're a behavioral health program, and we provide, one of the solutions that we provide is an employee assistance program. And so, what an employee assistance program is, it's an added benefit usually for agencies or organizations to have for their employees. And it usually includes a certain number of counseling sessions and as well as work life. So child care referrals, elder care referrals, adoption, legal consultations, financial consultations, the whole point and, and a, a variety of other potential services. And um, sometimes it can include coaching um, and other, other kind of services that help support the employee well-being, And the whole idea of why it was created was because we understand that personal lives affect professional and professional lives affect personal. And so that's what we're trying to provide and companies pay for this. And so it's at no cost to the employees because they understand the benefit of this program And they want a confidential program that the employee can just utilize, they don't have to know, or they can actually help promote and provide. You know, sometimes companies can provide time off if somebody wants to use the program, such as counseling, or if somebody comes to a supervisor and says, you know, I'm having a real hard time, the supervisor can help get them connected and their counseling is confidential, but they at least had a resource to get them connected besides call your insurance, which is great. But it's not always um, helpful because what we also do is management consultations. So if somebody's really worried about an employee, they can call us and we can work with them about the best way to support that employee. Additionally, especially in healthcare, you know, if you are a clinician and you've had a lot of losses or you know, a lot of cases that didn't go in the way that you expected. That can be very uh, difficult, so we can have a counselor on site and provide that support to that group because it's usually not one person involved. And Or if there's some, you know, if there's a, an incident in the community and the employees are impacted, we can go on site and provide that. We also provide training just on stress management or cumulative stress, which is huge in clinical world. Um, Or communication. You know, people get stressed out and they start getting snarky with each other. So we can talk about communication with one another or dealing with difficult people, because we know in the clinical world, you never need that.
0: (laughs) There's never anybody difficult in the clinical world.
2: (laughs) Not at all. So so just kind of those types of training. So we want to be a resource to help the overall well-being of the employees.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, this is Michelle. I have a deep appreciation for employee assistant programs because um, several years ago, well, several, several years ago, (laughs) when I was working at a hospital, um, I went through some personal uh, challenges and um, was referred to one. And I remember it was such a stigma, like, oh my gosh, I got to walk across the street and talk to a counselor. (laughs) But I credit that experience to this day for turning my life around and bringing a whole different perspective to the experience. And... um, it's really valuable to have that confidential place where you can just go and just, like, you know, open up and work through what you're dealing with. And um, so I, I know a lot of clinicians probably haven't even had that experience, so I just wanted to share, I've, I am a huge advocate for EAP programs.
2: Great. Yeah. I'm glad you had such a great experience. hmm
1: yeah. So, you know, we do know um, that there are incredible stressors um, in the work environment today. It seems like wherever you go now, that's all you hear about. Um, and um, but I think, again, Heather, because of your experience and your um, you know, you know, you're where you work and you have a very global view of what's happening with this issue nationally. So I think it'd be helpful to share with our listeners just what are some of the stressor trends that are really prevalent right now that are showing up in the workplace? Can you share some with us?
2: Sure. So our top, um, five primary reasons are, um, marital and family. So that's one of our main <laughs> problems. Um, we have a general emotional, so that is, but generally, anxiety, stress, depression, and sadness are our top reasons for people contacting us. And then, um, going along with possibly with marital and family, we often get legal requ- legal consult requests. Um, but what has hit lately, which is very interesting to me, in the past year or two, what's really increased is interpersonal difficulties and stress. And so, just generalized stress. So we have a job-related stress option, and we have a you know a category, and we have a stress category. But that stress category and job-related stress have increased across the board. Um, in hospital settings or in you know healthcare settings, we see those stressors go up when they have a lot of changes, such as an acquisition. Um, we'll see job-related stress go up. We will see suicide go up, unfortunately. Our suicide rates, um, for people calling, that means they've had a suicidal thought or they're contemplating. They're not necessarily um, actively suicidal, but it's there, which is in itself a a risk. Um, And that has, it seems to have doubled across the board um, in, in agencies in the past two years. And there's been a big push for awareness and prevention of that. Um, but you also see, unfortunately, uh, when we had an experience with a hospital that was going through a lot of, uh, they were acquiring a lot of smaller hospitals. We saw an increase in job-related stress, like I mentioned, um, anxiety and depressed mood, workplace conflicts. We had to send a lot of people on site to help manage because now you've got two different organizations melding together and trying to figure out their role, and that's very difficult. Um, and then, of course, that led into family and marital problems, legal issues, and then increased substance use. And so, that's obviously a problem when you're in healthcare, um, and just using that substance as a way to cope. And so, that's not really the best <laughs> the best way to cope. Um, and so, that's what we saw specifically in healthcare with those kind of. And that's just an example of a large change that an organization had gone through that was very. It's kind of striking that it showed up that clearly in in our reports.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's incredible, isn't it? Mm, It is. Not surprising. I mean, I, I really, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised because, you know, when you think about this, but what I really appreciate is you bringing kind of the both and of the individual at home. And the individual in the workplace. And I think, you know, uh, in reading the recent report by the National Academy of Medicine, <clears throat> you know, around their combating right burnout and really trying to enforce well-being, they seem to be, you know, focusing on kind of the professional well-being. And, you know, that's not, to my recollection, clearly defined within the document. So, I mean, the question is... Mm-hmm. You know, we have well-being as professionals, but we have well-being as people, too, right? right? As individual human beings. So that may be a polarity that is at risk if we're only focusing on keeping clinicians well from a professional perspective, right? At work. Because it is the both and. You, You don't. You don't cut off yourself, right, your home life or who you are in your home when you go to work, and you don't cut off work when you go home. I mean, you carry it with you everywhere you go. So the balancing of both is really important. And I think the rise in the recognition of that, that there is marital issues, home issues, right, in addition to the work issues, that it's a call to manage both, I guess, That's right. is what I'm trying to bring forth. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. And I
2: think it's important because organizations can be supportive and yet still have professional boundaries. You don't have to know every little piece of business of your employees and you don't want to, and they don't need you to. It's not good for an employee. And so that's why you have something like a program that's confidential that you can engage with. And then we can guide you. If you're a leader and you have an employee that's having difficult times, let us take care of the mental health issues or mental health concerns and then you can go back to being the supervisor. So it's that tiny investment. And I think Dr. Melnick mentioned, you know, every dollar you spend, you get 3 to 4 dollars return on your investment on a well-being program. So again, it's that rule like I talked about with the with the child, you know. And again, I'm not I'm not equating employees to children, but we are human. Yeah. And so with the child you stopped and gave that 30 seconds full attention, and that's what was needed. So with an employee you give that time and then you help them get connected and then they can work on what they need to work, but you got them to the appropriate resource. And so it's, it's just making that small time investment to show you care.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And sometimes yes. that's, that's what it is. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. just the messaging mm-hmm. that you care and they may not need any more. They just need to feel heard mm-hmm. and then they go on and, and you can still maintain that professional boundary and respect their privacy at the same time. And that builds resilience,
0: too. Right. But it's acknowledging that it's there, right? Right. That those are things that people have to deal with. And giving them the opportunity to do so is going to strengthen the outcome of what you're doing in the system or what you're doing for them professionally.
1: Absolutely. Yep. As healthcare leaders, we feel it's pretty safe to say that you're a leader because you want to make a difference or contribute to something larger than yourself and as a human being, you want to enjoy your life and get the most from it. But you always feel the constant tension and tug between these two important aspects of your life. That's why we've created the Making a Difference in Enjoying Life assessment, so you can identify how well you're managing this tension and gain some insights into your own steps for managing it more effectively. It only takes a few minutes to complete, so take advantage of this unique opportunity And go to www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast and click on the link at the top of the page to take the assessment.
0: Can you just talk a little bit about some of the interventions? I mean, you kind of mentioned them a little bit high level previously, but we think about the interventions for, you know, kind of managing these stressors and helping the employees with these. What are some of the things that are really, you know, in the forefront right now?
2: So for us, a lot of um, interventions are a lot of people are very interested in leadership coaching, um, training for their managers, because managers often are promoted for technical skills, but they don't have the people skills. And H.R., frankly, doesn't have time to teach them. So that's when they call on us because that's our expertise where our expertise is human behavior. And we understand what motivates employees. We understand what um what they what they're really asking, you know, because sometimes employees can't come forward and tell you directly. Hey, I don't like the way you're leading me because they're too worried, they're too scared. So we can say, you know, this is uh, this style may not be conducive to motivating your employees. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's nicely hot. put. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but we can filter, right? So right. we can um, yeah. advocate. We wear a lot of different hats. We advocate for the organization. We advocate for the leader. We advocate for the employee. So. Um, the other thing is obviously counseling, having somebody go on site. Sometimes you have to do a little bit of a mediation because there's some difficulties going on with your employees there and find a common ground. And they're so stressed. They can't find that common ground. Um, team building trainings, of course, and leadership trainings, um, the consult. So sometimes people, managers just don't have anybody to talk to because of confidentiality. Well, you can call a counselor at the EAP. It's co- totally confidential, and share everything that you need to share. I've, I've had managers who were excellent managers, and they were able to say, "I think this person's going to give me a heart attack," and we could talk about that, so they could be a better leader for that person. And they they couldn't go to their boss and say that. So, just trying to help um, the overall well being through different avenues. Some people don't like, like I said, we have coaching. So some people don't like counseling. So we'll do coaching instead. Um, and so that's kind of the the mm-hmm. generalities of what we offer. But it's a lot of organizational consultations, management consultation, as well as the interventions um, that are needed.
0: Yeah, so these are great action steps. They are right to help yes. with the balance of the different polarities when it comes to you know employee well being mm-hmm. and clinician well being. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And and really, what it does is it opens up that safe place to really mm-hmm. help the action steps happen. Right, right, right. If you don't feel safe, it's hard to get beyond that. It's like the psychological
0: safety. Right? Yes,
2: yes, yes. And so. For example, when we worked with that hospital that did the um, acquiring of the other smaller hospitals, we had a counselor on site and we consulted with the counselor. And then we were able to consult with HR and say, here's some themes that we're seeing. This is what, because they're, you know, it's this partnership. So that's what we like to do is just partner with the HR and make sure all their organizational goals are being met as well as their employee wellness.
1: That's great. That's great. Um Heather, we're you know, we're also seeing more in the literature about clinicians experiencing septum, second victim. And mm-hmm. second victims are healthcare providers who are involved in an unanticipated adverse patient event or a medical error, patient-related injury, you know, or some something that they really become victimized in the sense that the provider, they're traumatized by the event, right? Um, So tell us the trends that you're seeing um, with second victims and your experiences in assisting these clinicians.
2: So what we have seen and of the issue behind that secondary trauma is, and I come from a very medical family. My father's a pediatrician. My stepmother was a pediatric nurse. My sister's a NICU nurse. My other sister's a cardiac nurse. Um, My brother's a dentist. I mean, I come from a medical family, and what I have noticed, not only with them, but also with um, working with the second victim program through a children's hospital, is that clinicians put a lot of onus of responsibility on themselves, and if a case goes poorly, and mistakes happen all the time, all the time, because it's just, we're human, and they're not poor intention, but let's say a prescription's written incorrectly, or let's say you didn't have the full medical information on a child and you perform surgery and they unexpectedly passed away, you know, and that clinician takes on so much shame and guilt for that situation that it creates this secondary trauma. And so with the secondary victim program, what I love about it is it is a non-judgmental, purely support, peer support program. And it's outside of any peer reviews, outside of any investigations. It is purely checking in. It's checking in within 24 hours, and they're supporting them. And then what we can do, our part, is to teach them about what is trauma and how do you appropriately support somebody. So instead of um, forcing somebody to talk about it, you know, you say, and say, tell me what happened. You say, hey, I wanted to check in on you. I heard you had a bad case last night, and I want to make sure that you're doing okay. And if they want to talk, fine. If they don't want to talk, fine. It's, you know, starting with them. And that immediate intervention, and the research shows that the more immediate your intervention is after a traumatic event, the more you can reduce the likelihood of PTSD developing and those trauma symptoms having an onset. So that's why that peer support is so critical And that understanding how to, um, what words to use. And most people hear about a colleague going through a bad event and they feel so bad about it, but they have no idea what to say. And so we can actually give them the words so they don't have to be nervous about that. They can get over that. And again, going back to that 30 second rule, finding a time and a place where they can just meet with somebody and give them the time, even if it's a couple hours later And having that 100% full human connection attention focused on them can make such an impact And because the main thought that that these clinicians have is that everybody's going to judge them and that people are going to think that they're not very intelligent because they made this mistake and how could they make this mistake and that uh, they should have known better. And so a peer going to them... And being that support can reduce that shame and help them get into a more productive place which is what do we do now where do we go from here and what do we do for the family what do we do for the clinician what do we do for the hospital you know whatever the setting and so they kind of move forward versus because what we found is that a lot of um, providers quit they just give up the entire career and because they feel so much guilt and shame when they're fantastic providers and fantastic clinicians but they can't they can't handle that shame so they kind of they just leave and yeah. that's not you know all the training and all the expertise and that goes into that that's not what we want to happen
1: exactly well like i said we've been reading more and more about it in the literature hearing more about it um, but I just love the way you just described the reality of it because mm-hmm. it was just so powerful, you know, not only why it happens and what it is and what we're learning from the research, um, but we can really, we can really prevent colleagues from leaving the profession and if we act on it. So I really appreciate that. The other <laughs> thought I had is um, you'll have to invite Tracy and I to one of your family reunions.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that would be fun (laughs) no (laughs) okay we won't go there (laughs) (laughs) so I think too the other thing here is right it kind of goes along with what other people are experiencing the whole you know I mean the there's the second victim piece and there's like a stigma right Mm -hmm. around that there's a stigma of not, you know, asking for help in any regard, it seems like, in healthcare these days, right? And and it's been there for a long time. Like, yep. you know, we've been practicing, you know, well we've been clinicians for a long time. And it was there, right, when we got started. If you ask for help, you get labeled, right? If you can't, if you make a mistake, you get labeled, right? And then you're, the trust that people have in you and declines and all that kind of thing happens. And And so what I love about this is it's about peer support, right? It's yes. about the it's about bringing the humanness back into the environment that we are not robots we are not fail proof right we are human beings and things happen and mm-hmm. we never go there intentionally to make a mistake to harm somebody else to do something mm-hmm. that you know is going to be detrimental to somebody else's life right and that's that burden we carry right that's that We've got that on our back the moment we walk in the door every day, right? And so okay. I think it's just that acknowledgment of the humanness of the environment and that we are all human beings and to say, you know what? That could have been me last night. So how can I support you, right?
2: And and in your other podcast with Dr. Malnick, she's, and I was really glad she said this, clinicians are notoriously bad at caring for themselves. Yes. And they care for everybody else. You see this in... Um, You tend to see it in mothers, too, that have children and are just that very nurturing type um, person. You see it in law enforcement. So what happens is if you imagine your ability to cope with things as a bucket, your bucket when you're a caregiver is always three quarters full. And if you're in a career where you're specifically trained to deal with intense situations, then you think, well, this is the job. I should just handle it. Why is this bothering me? So you stuff it in that bucket, and that's why that bucket's always three-quarters full because you feel like you should just kind of suck it up.
1: Yep.
2: And then you don't take care of yourself because all your all your happiness comes from caring for others, right? And, um, and you feel so fulfilled, but you don't take care of yourself, and then your bucket overflows, and then you're done. And that's mm-hmm. where we're seeing the suicide. And so that's the problem is because they're not coping because they feel like they should just be able to deal with it. And it, we just aren't built that way. And so I have the same struggle with first responders and law enforcement is we don't want you to be just done. When, you know, when you're done, you're done, is what one person told me. And, and we don't want that. We want to say, let's empty the bucket a little bit. We don't have to do it all right now. Let's start. And then we can support them and know it's OK. And that peer support can be a really great enforcer because I'm not in that inner circle. I'm just the therapist person saying, Hey, take care of yourself. And they're like, Well, you're supposed to say that because you're a therapist.
0: Exactly. You don't get but, it. right? <laughs> <laughs> right. You're not a clinician. You don't get it, kind of thing. Exactly.
2: But when your peer says, Listen, let me tell you. Let me tell you what happened to Joe. Let me tell you what Joe was, you know, this is what we've got to do. We've got to take care of ourselves. It means more because you're inside. They, you understand. You get it. And having somebody to just be there to listen or be there to support you can go just being there, just being present can empty that bucket.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, um, this is another reason (laughs) why I'm on the soapbox about the individual and the system approaches, right? Because this is the individual stuff. This is my personal thinking, my beliefs, right? Um, My ability to cope, and my stories I'm telling myself about what I should or shouldn't be able to do or not do, right, in regards to when something happens, that's not necessarily, you know, it's it's tied to my professional accountabilities, but it's about me as a person, right? So that's why this individual, taking care of the individual and the well-being of the individual Uh, personally and professionally is important and why system approaches like, you know, these programs around second victim are important, but then there's the individual at the same time, right? So I think what you're kind of leading me to the last question I think that we have which is, you know, just can you bring your perspectives around um, just kind of that the need for this simultaneous action around system responsibility and individual clinician responsibility when it comes to, you know, moving well-being forward and, you know, building and establishing resilience. And I think you mentioned that at the very beginning, right? Resilience in the organization, resilience in the individual. What are your just closing thoughts about that? Well, I feel like
2: the system needs to be engaging. They need to engage the employees. They need to engage that opinion, get feedback. It doesn't mean you have to take all the feedback because everybody has an opinion, right? And so, and not all their opinions are valid or may, and not everybody has the same level of resilience. We aren't coddling people. We're not trying to take care of people in the sense of handling their, their problems for them. And everybody's going to come with a different level. You're going to have super high functioning people that are superstars and you never even know they have a problem. And they could be have been through an amazing trauma and you'd never know. And then you have people that aren't functioning as highly and just live in a world of chaos and using substances. And, you know, you just have to you still have to follow your policies and procedures. You still have to follow your guidelines for your employees. But when you engage them and look at the trends, look at the feedback Maybe you have one person that's really struggling and everybody else on the whole, the feedback is, this is fantastic. We think it's a great change. You're going to kind of, you know, as a system, that's where you kind of lead, right? Um, and then individuals do need to but, take care of themselves. So going back to the system, the system can provide those resources available, and then it's up to the individual to take them up on it. But then you, the system can reduce the stigma and then provide the resource for the individual to take part in getting that counseling. So it's a, it's a two-way street, um, definitely. Uh, like you said, it's a and, polarity, it's not an mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. And we need to just give them that opportunity and let them know it's okay. And then it's up to the individual to say, you know what, I do need to take care of myself. Or I do need to improve this, or maybe I should do some coaching, or or whatever. Um, and then with that, you've done what you can do. So it's, again, it's not owning the personal resilience as a system, and the person can't make the system responsible for their personal resilience either. But it's this it's this web and you know ebb and flow between the two of saying, hey, if you need help, it's fine. You know that's why they have FMLA, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why you have EAP. That's why you have health insurance. And that's why you have vacation or PTO. So you can take that appointment and you can go do what you need to do. So that's what I mean about right. providing that opportunity.
0: Right. Yeah. You you have to provide the resource, right? Yes. I mean, the accountability of the organization is what I'm hearing you say, is to provide the resource, to offer the opportunity, to recognize this is important, yeah. right? And to give every exactly. every individual the opportunities they <clears throat> need to do the things they need to do from an individual perspective. And then the individual needs to take 100% responsibility for their part of this, right? And if they don't step up and get the help that mm-hmm. they need or do mm-hmm. the things that they need, that's their accountability. Yeah. But right. but you need to recognize, right, and provide that opportunity for them to be able to do that. Right.
1: And this, to me, is a deep, meaningful action step and intervention. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations where people like, you know, you hear physicians and different clinicians say, you know, don't send me to another yoga class. Don't send me to another mindfulness class because they're really perceived as superficial, quick fixes. And it's the perception sometimes is insulting, you know, so there's that going on too. Like we got to fix, we got to fix things. But I think what you're bringing Heather and what I love is it's, it's really the human individual and what they need and um everyone's unique yeah so you yeah. need to have the resources that really help address that
0: yeah well and, and it's, it's easy to blame the system to say this yeah. is all your fault yeah. i'm experiencing this it's all your fault you got to fix this right <laughs> and exactly. not take responsibility for their own Uh, actions, right? Or how they're engaging in the system. So we got a lot of stories and a lot of interpretations, right? About who's to blame, what's going on. And you got the system saying, well, we don't want to tell them, just be more resilient, right? There's like a fear right now. And I think that's why there's very little coming out about the individual piece of this, because there's a fear, which is a normal thing and a polarity, right? That you're afraid that you've already overemphasized, just be resilient, just suck it up, right? Just keep going. And they don't want to continue nationally to give that message. But you can't ignore <laughs> that there's a responsibility there.
2: Correct. And I think it's also when you do implement, like you you kind of mentioned this, when you implement these new resources how are you doing it are you sending the message of if you shouldn't be that stressed so just go to yoga class or are you saying hey you know 90 percent of you commented on the stress and we know it's stress and we know this isn't a solution but we did want to invite you if you want there's a yoga class that's a whole different message because one you're acknowledging the stress two you're saying It's your problem. You're so stressed. We're not acknowledging our part at all in this industry that there's stress, and you need to just go take care of yourself. You're the crazy one, basically. Is the message that you're saying? Right,
0: right, right. And it doesn't hurt to say, and you know how yoga reduces stress. If you've never experienced it before, here's why we've offered it. Right? Because here's what's in the literature. Here's the benefits of it, and some people really respond to it. So you know. Give them the information they need to understand why some of those solutions or some of those approaches are being offered to help
2: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. people be maybe more, like- more open. <laughs> right, right.
2: And, and tell them what your intention is behind it. Yes.
0: Yeah. You know? So. Wow. Yeah. Such a great conversation. Oh, I just love this. We could just be here all day. I know. We
1: really could. We really could. Yeah. You see why we like podcasts? (laughs) I mean, you can talk about such meaningful things and just shed light on it that doesn't come across in a webinar or an article. And Mm -mm. you just are a wealth of knowledge, Heather. And I think bringing that real world experience to our listeners. I know, I just love this session and yeah. I, I can't wait to share it with
0: others. Yeah, me too. Do you have any parting thoughts or comments you'd want to share with our listeners before we end today? No,
2: I think if anybody, if an organization's listening and they're going to have a takeaway, it's just give feedback from your employees. Just tune into them and then, and don't, but also don't take on the responsibility of making sure everybody's happy. You know, it's, it's that and polarity. So yeah. it doesn't have to be, don't make this a polarity. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, do a little over here, see, get the feedback, come back, you know, and just see what's reasonable for the organization and then tell people why you're doing what you're doing yeah. and how it's going to benefit, what's in it for them, you mm-hmm. know, and then they'll engage and they'll give you, and clinicians will give you 200% back
0: Yeah, they want to. They do. I so, mean, they're there. Because it's a mission for them, right. right? It's their purpose to serve others. That's why they most people get into the professions, right, that they choose in healthcare, And so that already is their driver. That's part of the issue, right? There's this dissonance between why they got into it and what they're dealing with, right? Right. right. So when you can reconnect them with their purpose and, and help them to see that you are really trying to support that, the delivery of that and their engagement in it, you're right, they'll go... They'll go beyond, yeah, above and beyond. They already are, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Exactly,
2: hundred percent. That purpose is what. If they don't have a purpose,
0: they're going to burn out. Yeah, just- exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, thank you yep. so. Thank much. You so this much, is just Awesome, just yeah. so exciting. Thank you so much for your wisdom, and we we will talk to you soon. Hopefully, we'll reconnect. Oh yes, for sure.
2: Well, thank you so much. And I keep doing what you're doing. I think it's great. So I really appreciate you guys helping everybody like you are. Thank, thank you. you. Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Don't forget to go to missinglogic.com podcast and join the early interest list so you can be the first to get all the details on the new online group coaching program. We will be offering to help healthcare leaders combat burnout, live on purpose, and develop balance and resilience in their work and personal lives.
0: Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.